This is a production of Dirty Mode Media. The Dale Jr. Download. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. With me is my co-host Mike Davis. What's up, Mike? Man, how you doing? Uh, Schultz is here. Leah's here. I'm doing great. Uh, should be a lot of fun. We have been waiting on this guest for a long time. Man, he was a, he was kind of hesitant to come onto the show, and uh, but he has a long, rich history. Andy Petrie, crew chief, owner, broadcaster. I mean, what he's done it all. Innovator. Yeah. He's going to tell us some cool innovation stories. Cheating. <laughs> That's what we... It's a code. Yeah. Well, let's get the show started. All right. We're going to get to Andy Petrie here later, but uh, yeah, open segment time, man. A lot to talk about. You had a busy weekend. I did. I did. We took the Nova to Darlington. This was a uh, very important trip. Yeah. All right. This Nova... Can't overstate it. It means a lot to me, and it sits right here. It's like my uh, my buddy. It's like my it's like my pillow. Y'all are over close. Yes, you're close. So um, it's always right here when we're doing the show. Take over, look over my shoulder, and there she is. You feel better about yourself. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Anyways, man, we worked really hard over two years. The guys would take a lot of time off and breaks in between because we were trying to run a race team as well. But it uh, we got two years of in, of, of time invested in this. My uncle Robert G. Jr., who worked on the car originally in the 80s when it was built, he put the body on it back then and and done a lot of work on this car. He spearheaded the whole operation of the restoration. He wanted to go to Darlington. I also asked my uncle Danny to go, uh, being dad's brother. I thought it'd be important to him. And L.W. went with us as well. L.W. was my lead mechanic, making sure this thing started up and we had no problems uh, to be able to pace the field. You need somebody to blame if it doesn't start. Well, he was... He took the lead when we were when we're out here warming it up, firing it up, getting the battery ready and everything, getting the thing going. He just seemed to when I took it over to Charlotte and drove it a couple of weeks ago, um, he just was extremely supportive and helpful. That's good. And so I'm like, you got to go. We drove in the suburban down there. Some amazing stories from Robert G. Jr. and Uncle Danny talking about racing with Dad, uh, a little bit about this car, but more about dirt racing with Dad in the '70s and just things, right? Mm-hmm. So, had a lot of fun. I said exactly what I was hoping would happen was we'd drive down there and it'd feel like it was a 10-minute drive because of all the great stories that we, we talked about, all the things that I learned. I had a GoPro in the car, thanks to you guys at Dirty Mo Media. So, we captured it all. You captured um, t- one hour and 45 minutes worth before the batteries died on the GoPros. They were supposed to last five hours. Uh-oh. That's what Micah told me. So, Micah sent me a video clip. Oh, no. Of him putting the GoPros in the Suburban. Okay. And he's telling me how to turn them on. And he's like, these will last five hours. Just let them run. They'll, do, and they'll die on their own. Good five-hour battery. They all died exactly at the same moment. Like one after the other. Like in, in they were like, all of them powered down right there in front of us as we were just about 15 minutes away from the racetrack. Oh, man. We had a couple good stories that we didn't get. No. Yeah. Really? And then the whole ride home. Oh, because, yeah, you, your reaction to the day was probably you guys kind of yeah, uh, yeah, decompressing had, yeah. and digesting the day, and, yeah. and we didn't get any no, of that. No, no, no. The but there was dead. some pretty good stories on the way up there I think you guys will appreciate. Anyways, okay. so we get there. 
the car is sitting in the garage, uh, the Xfinity garage on the backstretch. Now, in when this car raced at that track, that was the cup garage. Mm-hmm. All right, this car would have been over on the front straightaway where the current cup garage is, right? So the track's been flipped That's since right. this car raced there. But anyhow, the car's sitting in the Xfinity garage, and when we're walking, when we walk in, first off, Darlington Speedway's protocols and access to the infield and all the way that the, all the things that you go through to get there seamless. We drove in just like everybody else went through the went through the check in and come in there and park and everything was easy. Good, good job by them. So, because I I'm not going to the racetrack a lot right now, and uh, every time that I've went uh, to a cup race or the racetrack over the last couple over a year and a half, I guess it's been really easy. And the intimidation factors there as you're leading into the trip, thinking, man, it's just getting in there and getting parked's gonna be tough. You know, they got all these bubbles and places you can go, can't go, yeah. and all that. But anyways, it was great. Walked into the garage area. The visual immediately when I saw the car parked in the garage and everybody's around it. Oh, as you walked up. I'm standing hundreds of yards away. And you could see them. And I'm like, oh, man, they're all standing around just talking to each other and uh, looking, pointing. And, like, the car had been sitting there all morning. And the whole garage got to check it out, right? Walk up, look at it, hang, stand with their buddy and chit-chat about some stories and relive some some memories of their, their own their own memories, right? Maybe nothing even related to that car. But Throwback Weekend, that's what Throwback Weekend's about, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of firing off those hidden lost memories in your mind uh, and all these great stories and telling them and sharing them. And so certainly a lot were had and, and enjoyed around that car being in the garage. Just I got to, I took a, Before I walked up, I took a few pictures just of that moment of all these racers, right, standing around that car. Just so so other race teams, crew yes. members, drivers, yes. all that stuff? Mix of everybody. Wow, that's cool. It was neat. It, yeah. was, a, it was really, really cool. Yeah. So uh, right out of the gate, I'm like, Yes, this car is accomplishing what I would hope, right, with bringing it here. Mm. I want people to see it, enjoy it. I let a couple, you know, I, of course I walk up and Noah's sitting in it. <laughs> Are you kidding? Oh, yeah. He's sitting in it. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, par for the course there. Get out. Yeah. Did get you tell out. him get out? No, I didn't. But um, <laughs> Get out of my car. A couple other guys walked <laughs> up, David Starr, Timmy Hill, Harrison Burton, and I'm like, y'all jump in, man. See what it feels like. Because it is completely nothing like oh. the way the cars feel and sit today. And they all jump in, and they're just like, this is insane. You know, they get, they're looking around. They can't believe the interior and what it looks like and what, what, how it compares to what they race. Um, so I was happy to, you know, let people climb in and out of it. It's fine. But uh, they were like, hey, pull it over to the front straightaway whenever you're ready. So I drive it over and park it on the pit road uh, on the front stretch. And they were like, you're going to follow this you know, when you're, you're going to go out and do a couple laps after the anthem. So we waited on the anthem to end. Then we climbed in, ran, went out there and rode a couple laps. We're looking up in the grandstand, seeing fans holding their beers up or mm. waving or whatever, really. That's, that's what that moment's for, man. The car is the star. That's what the day's about. So glad people appreciated to see it and got to see it. And looking at pictures of the car going around the track afterwards. Oh, um, yeah. It, remind, it looks – it's like um, – it really reminds me of what it looked like when it raced there. It looks legit. Man. Schultz, you were in the grandstands, right? I was. And what was the reaction? Oh, it was going crazy. Were really? they all- like they were freaking out? Yeah. yeah. Everyone hands up in the air, just like as if you were racing. It was That's kind so of, awesome. That's neat. It was really cool. When I so I remember, you know, I've looked at a lot of pictures of this car when it raced, 
to throughout the restoration process getting the car right. And when you see the pictures of it today or this past weekend at Darlington, they really let overlap. Oh man! Right, it looks you got it right real. Right, yeah. the car just looks so close to the real thing. It is, and um, I sent a picture to Tony Junior and Tony Senior. Those were two guys that I really wished that were there. Um, Tony Senior remarked that it was better than the original. Whoa, that's high remark right yeah. there. But anyways, I really want them to see it. I don't know that either one of them's been next to it yet. Anyhow, it was uh, we we paced the field. Uh, they had me following a car, and then the pace car was behind me, and then the field was behind me. And I'd already got to run them two laps, but pacing the field was pretty fun. I think it would have been neat for any of the guys that were close to the front, nearly especially the front row, to look in out their windshield and see that car, and maybe in a moment for a split second, imagine like you know racing around the track with that car. Because you were a little, you were ways ahead of them. Right? I don't know. I couldn't. My mirror. I couldn't really tell in the mirror how far back uh, they were. I was told to follow the car I was following. Gotcha. And that was my job. You <laughs> should doing your rules. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, were yeah. you nervous? Uh, not as bad, I guess, as I thought. I was. I was really nervous um, about the car maybe not starting, the battery going dead, or uh, having a leak of some sort. I just didn't want anything to happen that would that would. Uh, bother the track or the or NASCAR. I was their guest, right? They're allowing me to do this. They yeah. didn't have to let me come in there and do that. So I didn't want to you know, mess up anything, but um, that was the only thing I was worried about. The car drives great. It fires right up. It runs good. It uh, worked out great. But then we parked the car back in the garage area, and I was standing there, and I was like, uh, we watched a couple laps over in turn two and watched the cars go by. And uh, LW is um, need, needing to get home. Oh. Yeah. Oh, so you didn't stay? No. I thought you did. I wanted to. Me and Danny, my uncle, we wanted to stay. And Danny didn't tell me this, but we had a ride home with his son, Danny Jr., who works on the eight car, or we would have stayed. Oh, man. But LW was racing with Wyatt at the dirt track at Millbridge, and he had to get home. Yeah. Like, we were rushing to get home. I wanted to stop at a corner store or, or this uh, general store on the way back, and he's like, man, nope. we, we got time for ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, and then we got to get some ice cream. On the way home, we're listening to the race, and we're – you know, obviously how the race turned out, it was very regrettable that we didn't stay. Oh, very, man. very, very regrettable. So you didn't even get back. Did you get back in time to see the end? No. I'm glad because I don't. Oh, yeah. You're I glad. I don't like watching my cars. It was terrifying to watch those two. And I can't imagine what it would have been like to be there in person. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, Listening to it over the radio has saved me a lot of. Uh, you would have had a coronary. I mean, th- th- and especially on that restart. I mean. They, they get so sideways, and, yeah. and the, the terror of them both wadding it up yeah. superseded any That's of the elation. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's raising the anxiety level right now, just thinking about it. But it was fun. It was great. Went off good. I think we'll have the car here coming up. we got a Charlotte race weekend with a lot of folks coming to town, and they're going to come through the gift shop, and, and there'll be tours going on in here. Uh, for folks, I guess, uh, throughout that week. So we'll probably have it here. Yeah. But I text the Hall of Fame. And told them, you know, hey, the car's here. I don't, you know, any I, if you guys ever need it or want it for the for the floor over there in the Hall of Fame, just tell me, and it can go over there and sit. So I do want people to be able to see it and and let it go out there and people to see. It. But I, you know, obviously, I'm not, you know, just can't go anywhere. But um, I want to make sure it's taken care of and in good shape and doesn't get banged up. Oh, the Hall of Fame will take you up on that. Hey, before we move on, can we just address something about this? I'm curious if if you were aware of the situation that was happening with the uh, the 
the TV broadcast. So Kelly Earnhardt, your sister, jumped on Twitter and she she brought it up first. And I know that she called me that she was upset that that the the race broadcast from Fox, um, who I consider colleagues of ours, I don't consider them competitors. So like you know, we can rest that you know put that aside. But she was upset that they she turned on the broadcast of the race and she did not see the Nova. Yeah, I didn't know what was going on with the broadcast obviously at the moment. And when I heard about it, I was getting some text messages about people, my friends are like, my wife was like, have you done the deal or are they going to show it? I didn't see it. Mm. Um, friends texting me and it didn't really bother me. I like, I, if it bothered her, Kelly, friends, my wife, you. Yeah. I jumped in. Good. Yeah. You know, let it, I'm, I'm not minimizing your um, feelings about that, but it didn't bother me. Gotcha. I wasn't. You know, I never went into that day or going, man. I'm, 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 I'm doing this for TV. Doing this for TV, yeah, or, yeah. or now I'm disappointed that the people at home did not get to see it. I am disappointed that they didn't get to experience. I guess the 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 television version of whatever you know, Schultz and everybody in the grandstands got to see. But my my I checked all the boxes for you for me. Yeah, right. Er, yeah. Everything that I wanted to do about that day, I did, and. Uh, but you know, anyways, um, yeah, I saw that conversation. I chose not to jump in the middle. middle. Well, I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> I, I jumped in because uh, Xfinity put out on their Twitter handle. They put this thing, uh, you know, don't miss this. And I'm like, man, it's like a carrot in front of a baby. I got to take a bite. And, and and so I jumped in and uh, you know with my sarcasm, but also I was pretty adamant about it too. Not just because Kelly was upset, but. A lot of people, I, I go in there with a tweet, it gets attention. There was even a couple articles written about how Dale Jr.'s, you know, business partner is, you know, chiming in. And I want to clarify one thing. What, a few people would say to me, well, why would you expect Fox to do it? Dale Jr.'s an NBC broadcaster. And I'm, I want to say my reason for that had nothing to do with the fact that you were in the car. It had everything to do with the original owner. It's a Dale Earnhardt car out there. I don't care who's driving it. I felt Dale Earnhardt needed to get the attention or deserve the attention on the actual race broadcast. Now, Fox, absolutely, uh, as I learned later, uh, it did a piece on it during their pre-race coverage, and I appreciate that. Barry Landis, who's a great friend of ours, texted me, and he's like, hey, just so you know, this is what happened. And I said, I, I appreciate that. It doesn't really change my opinion on this. I feel Dale Earnhardt's car, which was in the Xfinity series, which won at Darlington, earns the right to be in the actual race broadcast and not the pre-race show. I didn't see the pre-race show. Kelly clearly didn't see the pre-race show. Amy didn't see the pre-race show. You just turn on the TV knowing that you're out there pacing it, but also knowing that this is a Dale Earnhardt car. That was my only point. And so it had nothing to do with who was driving it or who the, who the driver actually works for you know, in his broadcast career. It had everything to do with just yeah. Dale Earnhardt deserved to be get glanced. And our expectations weren't even that high. It just I didn't expect him to you know, stop all of their race coverage to talk about this car. I just wanted to see it in a shot. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. So I took a uh, – you're right about the car being the star. I took one of Dad's uniforms that he raced in uh, that in that car. He won He won Daytona with this car, and I had the suit from that race. And Amy was like, you should wear it. My uncle was like, you should wear it. I tried it on, it and, and it fit. And I took it. It was in the Suburban. But I didn't wear it because I didn't want to draw any attention away from the car, right? And uh, I, I tried to – be as anonymous as I possibly could uh, to because the car's the thing, right? And it's all about throwback weekend. Yep. It's the Xfinity Series race. This car ran in this race. This car won here. 
So it was about the car. We'd put so much work into the car. It was time time to show it off. So, but it you know it's fine. There was a bunch of you know content on uh, social media about it. NASCAR themselves posted some you know footage of that car racing, and even Fox. Yeah, even Fox did to, to their credit yeah. for sure. Uh, Barry is a good friend. Barry was our producer, editor, pretty much our everything for um, back in the day. Remember that TV show we did for Speed? Loved it. Yeah. Bud Lindemann. So him and his wife yeah. would write those bubbles, the pop-ups. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of fun. Barry's a good guy. Listen, I, I appreciated them. Um, I, I, you know, kind of stand behind what we yeah. said. And, and I, I love the fact that you got your boxes checked uh, from that weekend, and that yeah. it started, and it didn't. Leak I would oil. say for <laughs> I would say on the Fox thing that there was I can absolutely say for a fact that it was no, nothing intentional, and that if they could go back and do it over again, they probably would do it differently. But knowing what it's like to be on the broadcast at the kickoff of the show, they come in right at the back of the anthem. I mean, there's pace laps, green flag, right? And knowing everything that's got to get accomplished, there's a bunch of ads and buy-ins mm. that have have to happen, and they have to get those things done right. You got to talk to the driver. Uh, you're going to go in car and talk to a driver. You can't do that while they're pacing down front straight away, going through the pits to get their pit road speed. There's just a lot of things that have to fall in line like a bunch of dominoes uh, before the cars get the green. And we didn't get plugged in there. We didn't, and that's okay. Car's still here. It ain't going anywhere. It's good, probably might end up at another racetrack somewhere. I don't know what the plan is for it, but uh, no big deal. Went to Nashville. Yeah. When did I do that? Friday. Friday, the day before. Yeah, yeah you had so, a busy week. So I wanted to clear something up about Nashville. <laughs> yeah, I went to the fairgrounds. Obviously, everybody knows about the conversation that we're having there, trying to figure out how we can possibly get uh nascar back to the fairgrounds that conversation has been going on for um seems like a decade now but it's real uh it's real momentum over the last year or so and and most of that's been pretty well documented but mike helton asked me if i'd shoot over there during the weekend that the arca series was there bob Sargent's out there promoting the race and um they had the pro late models and and super late models there as well had a lot of cars turn out for those races and so i i was in town doing some other business and went by the racetrack. They had a big platform and press conference set up and uh, they had me and uh, Stephen Nassi and a couple of the drivers up there to talk about Nashville. So it was a great opportunity to just kind of keep the momentum up, mm-hmm. right? During the conversation, there were only a few media there. One of them was the Tennessee Inn and a couple of lo- uh, local TV stations and so forth. Matt Weaver and a couple of those guys were not there, but they picked up a lot of the story in the aftermath during the conversation i believe the tennessean asked me if xfinity series came back to nashville would you run it and i said i race in the xfinity series once a year if they bring it back to nashville i'm definitely going to put that race on my calendar I'll, i'll be here and i'll race in it and so that would be the track that i would choose that year to run at. Just like you're doing Richmond this year. Yeah. And you did Darlington last year. Nashville would be your one a year. I believe Matt was the first one to take those comments and and say, Dale's going to race every year at Nashville. When it comes back, he's going to be here every year. It's not what I said. but uh, And I thought, oh, I could text him and or, or, or shoot him a message and straighten this out, which I probably should have done. 
because it got picked up by more and more people, and that's the story that's kind of going around is, hey, if y'all come back to Nashville, Dale's going to run every year. Um, <laughs> for as long, for, as for the rest long, of time. Yeah, that's not really what I meant. But if they do go back there with the Xfinity Series, I'm going to talk to uh, Hellman's or, or uh, whoever our partner is that I'm running this one race for and say, hey, I'd love to go race Nashville this year. Um, that's absolutely, I want to do it. I want to race. If I can't, I can't be on this campaign and be part of the conversation and, and then not, not race there when they go right. back. Right. So I'm definitely going to go, but, um, I, I don't know if I'll run every single year for the rest of the time, but anyways. So you're clarifying because I'm glad you're doing this because I'm going through a Facebook timeline and yeah. I see a headline. I didn't read the article. I saw the headline that said <laughs> something along the lines of, as long as they're racing at National Fairgrounds, Dale Jr. is going to race there. Yeah. I mean, like the headline literally suggested it. And I'm like, well, that's a development. I'm sure we need to talk about this one because, I mean, holy crap. And, I mean, it's a heck of a commitment. You're just saying, look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not going to race forever. Yeah. But as long as you do, if Fairgrounds comes back and that's your one race, yeah, that'll be your pick. There's another thing. there, And so the reason why I would go there uh, on a Friday and, and sit down and talk uh, to, to, to the folks at the track is because the campaign to get NASCAR back to the fairgrounds has a bunch of message points in it, right, and a bunch of bullet points in it. And there's some advers- there's some there's some people that aren't in favor of this happening, right? Mm-hmm. Not in favor of NASCAR coming back to the fairgrounds. Typically, most of these people are going to be local residents that mm-hmm. are in that area. I don't know that it's 100 percent of them against it. I'm just there are some in the area that are like I don't want NASCAR coming back here. Too noisy. Too too many. Too many cars already on the track as it is, and it's already a nuisance to me, and, and I don't want it to get worse. And I think that what I, what's important for me, I guess, is to go and continue to spread the message of the um, – there's some incorrect information out there, right, that bringing NASCAR back to the fairgrounds means more noise. And it, bringing NASCAR to the fairgrounds means more days when there's racing. It's actually going to mean less days of cars on track. It's going to mean less noise. So this is what I think is important. If I'm a resident at the track, right, and I live half a block away, Mm -hmm. absolutely, I mean, I understand, like, if I'm sitting at home trying to watch a movie with my girl or hanging out in the yard with my kid, hearing race cars all day long is absolutely not a preference, Right. I get it. Uh, yeah. It's legit- no. It's a legitimate complaint. Yes. Yep. All right. So the thing is, is that this track was voted as historical landmark, and so it's not going anywhere. And and as long as it's there, guys like people like Bob Shargin and so forth are going to work with the fair board to continue racing super late models, pro late models, ARCA, K&N, all of those races, the All-American 400, and all those things that are happening now are going to continue to happen. Mm-hmm. And as it sits... Without an agreement with Marcus, I can go over there with a race car and make all the noise I want any day of the year. Yeah, the track's open, free, free to rent. Turn, you know, go in there and just any Friday, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday it doesn't matter. So, and there's no sound barrier. There's nobody going to build a sound barrier. There's nobody going to try to do anything to mitigate any of the complaints. If you have Marcus in the picture. And he does have this control that he's looking for to uh, bring NASCAR back. He is basically going to spend millions of dollars to build sound barriers, do everything he can 
from a physical standpoint to mitigate the sound that's reaching your house. That's not there, and it's not going to be there without Marcus. So do you want sound barriers? Would you like or somebody, don't you? Would somebody? Would you like somebody to start to build you a sound barrier tomorrow? Yes, of course you would. Mm-hmm. All right, he's the guy, the only guy that's got the money to do that. It's the only pathway. Only pathway to it. To, to, the, uh, to sound barriers is this way. Yep. Right. The other thing that he wants to do is, has, is have less track time, less, less cars running, less days of the year where there's cars running. And this is how he's going to do that. Instead of saying, it's, you know, it's a free-for-all, hey, I, want, I got a car, I want to come run, and I need to practice. He's going to really narrow it down to only select days of the year where if you've got a pro late model, super late model, whatever, street stock, I don't care, these are the only days of the year that, that, you're available, that are available to come test your car. Mm. All right? The short track programs will, will continue as far as those big races, All-American 400, ARC, and all those things. But all that stuff gets narrowed up into specific moments where there'll be a schedule. You'll understand when those days are. And it'll be less physical days of the year that cars are going to be out there making all that noise. Why would you not want that? Right. It's going to reduce the number yes, of days. It's going to have some uniform. Mm. It's going to bring some uniform to the, to the schedule. And, and all that is stuff that if I was a resident, I would want. Okay? If the track's going to be there and there's going to be noise, okay, um, give me a schedule in less days where there's noise and give me big sound barriers where the noise is even less bothersome. Sounds like to me it's just a matter of hearing hearing Marcus out, getting those message points out, yeah. and not jumping to conclusions because it's a fair conclusion to jump it to is. if you hear this in the or see this in the newspapers or see it on news. Oh, they're coming, and and, and hell comes with them. Yeah. But that's not the case. You're saying they're coming with a lot of things that you've been fighting for, yeah. and give these guys a chance and hear them out. Yeah, and there's it's interesting. Yeah, and I think too, um, if you look at Charlotte Motor Speedway. They do a lot of things that benefit the local community as far as their Christmas lights program. All, they, there's a few days in the year where all, all of a sudden Charlotte Merge Speedway is this thing everybody wants to go to and take their kids and, and see the lights and all those things. He wants to have that same sort of impact with the fairgrounds and provide the community with these sort of attractions that they will enjoy right, and their families will enjoy. That's, that's not there unless you have Marcus, right? So I really understand their concerns, and I can, I could, I can put myself in their shoes and, and totally see where they're coming from. But I'm telling you, you if you're a resident, you'll, you want this deal. Mm. You really do. Uh, because without it, it stays as is, uh, which is not, is not really your preference. And so that, that's, I guess that, that answers the question as to why you'd, why you'd spend a Friday and shoot over to Nashville and – answer some media questions and talk to local media and then and go back home. <laughs> and, and if you're one of those guys in the community that hated the idea of Dale Jr. racing, racing there for the rest of time, that ain't happening either. Yeah. <laughs> this is all good news. Yeah. <laughs> Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, TEND is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Hey, Andy Petrie's here. Let's get him into the show and at the table. 
Terry Gant wins the Southern 500. Well, a very happy Andy feature getting congratulated. Motor ran perfect, car ran perfect, and Harry was perfect. Checkers about to be thrown, and it's Terry Gant flying to victory two in a row. Andy Petrie is going to head to victory lane. Has won three in a row. Terry Gant and his fourth consecutive Winston Cup win. Man, I'm What about that, Terry Gant, huh? The first year, Andy Petrie taking over as crew chief for Dale Earnhardt. The first win. Earnhardt has won the 1993 NASCAR Winston Cup Championship. Andy Petrie came in and did a terrific job. Earnhardt holds him off to win the race and knock down his seventh <laughs> Winston Cup championship. Andy Petrie, champion crew chief. That'll feel awfully good. Yeah, he sure does. Dale Earnhardt has won the second Quick Guard 400. Well, Andy Petrie, all those last-minute adjustments yesterday paid off. Yeah, greatest race car driver in the world, what can you say? What's up, man? <laughs> How you doing? Welcome. You flew your helicopter here? Yeah. Huh. It's pretty cool. Thanks, man. We've, yeah. we've been looking forward to you coming on the show. Yeah. Well, yeah. I appreciate it. I have to. I've, I've been watching a lot of them. Have you? Yeah. There's been some, you've had some characters we've on We've had here. some fun. Yeah. yeah. Th throw that headset on so you can hear us. And by the way, first guest we've ever had that flew a helicopter in, I guess. I think so. Yeah. Rick, Rick, probably. You and Rick Hendrick. Yeah. Maybe. I guess you, had, I guess there I, was you hadn't had Chase on yet. Well, he, yeah, he would fly a helicopter. Yeah, he probably here, would. Probably, yeah. Andy Petrie is on the show. It's awesome to have you in here, and I know that you got your hands full and you're busy working with RCR. What are you doing these days? What's your job title? Well, I'm, I'm just the, you know, the VP of competition over there, and, and kind of everything that's competition-related falls under me. Got great people, you know, that, that handle all the things, you know, from engineering to operations. You got Sammy Johns and Eric Kamenick and, uh, you know, just a lot of good good strong people over there what made you want to go back and, and go back to work at rcr you'd had your own deal you kind yeah. of were doing some tv and you seemed to be like you was settled into this sort of oh, comfortable man. place I was. you didn't really want to work all the time <laughs> i was i was now you're working hard again. look it was great right <laughs> i was working for espn i was working in the booth and and uh, and life was great i mean it really was and then espn lost the contract to nbc and then you took my job, and so <laughs> yeah. here I sit. With, We're all thinking it. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll go ahead and address the elephant yeah, in the room. <laughs> no, just kidding. But after that ran out, I mean, I still do, do work for Fox, um, you know, on the race-up show, which I really enjoy once a week or so during the yeah. season. And uh, But that's that's it, you know. And I was just, you know, piddling things in my shop. I was, you know, I'm obviously passionate about aviation. And, I, you know, I, I dabbled with, uh, you know, I got my airframe – power plant license to be able to work on helicopters and airplanes and i bought uh, a run out robinson kind of like the one i'm flying now and overhauled it thought okay that's a good way to you know make a little money i can you know occupy my time it was way too hard mm -hmm. well it was the hard, it was really hard work and there wasn't a lot of money in it so i, so I ended up selling that helicopter making a little bit of money and uh, about that time i was talking to richard about some other things and we had lunch at the winery and he he said it. He's he's have, he just wasn't happy with the direction of the team and and wanted to, you know, what I thought. And we talked about some things. And he, you know, what do you think about coming back over here? And it really piqued my interest. I mean, because I'm a super competitive guy. You know, I didn't I didn't quit being competitive just because I took on other things and uh, you know miss it a little bit. There's things about about racing that I really love that you can, you know. Lay awake at night thinking of how can I make this a little better? How can we beat them this week? How can you know? And, and so. I, I really kind of wanted to do it, you know, and so it's been it's been fun. I've, this is my fourth season there, 
And I feel like that we've made some progress along the way. We won a few races. Oh, yeah. And, you know, won the Xfinity Championship a couple of years ago with, with Tyler. And now moving him with his career along, I think it's, it's interesting. And, you know, and Austin Dillon is sitting in this really good spot in his career where he's, you know, tons of experience, very talented. You know, feel, I feel the pressure of being able to give him the equipment that he deserves right now. Yeah. And so it's been fun. The performance is getting better, that's for sure. Had some standout runs at the end of the season last year to, to kick off the playoffs, which surprised, I think, a lot of people. Uh, probably not y'all, but the way he ran at, uh, you know, Richmond, for example, was just outstanding. Yeah, we're, we're looking forward to going back there. Yeah. So, um, anyhow, man, let's go way back. All right. You're going to have to go way back now. I'm, we're going as far as we can. We're going that's far. What, that's Probably the, further back than you can remember. That's the challenge to doing this show is seeing how much you guys can remember. Yeah. Um, I, uh, you know, you you call yourself a car freak from, yep. from way back uh, since you could walk. But what was your family's involvement around automobiles? What was the – what what – what connected you to racing or to the car? Well, it's a little different in your career, right? I mean, your your dad was you know, super famous all all in racing when you grew up, but my dad was not. I mean, my family uh, really wasn't interested or really had any connection to racing. And um, other than it, for cars, my grandfather was a car dealer, Chevrolet dealer in Newton, North Carolina, and um, knew some cross Chevrolet. So that that's one reason I, I would hang out in the dealership and you know aggravate the mechanics like crazy. Yeah. You know, John Settlemeyer was one of the mechanics in there, and he was five-time ended up being a five-time track champion at Hickory Speedway. And I got, oh man, that's really cool. You know, he got race cars, and he took me, you know, out to his shop a few times when I was a kid, showed me the cars. And I just kind of got the first real interest I got though. My my uncle took me to Hickory Speedway when I was 11, 12 years old, and I got there and I heard those cars running from the parking lot. And I'm like, holy cow! And I went running up that ramp, you know, that run, ramp in front, mm-hmm. just running. I didn't pay for ticket, nothing. I ran top of that, and I looked down at those cars they were practicing. And I, I, mean, I knew right then that was it. I was done. I'm telling you, that, that nothing else in the world mattered. But racing. <laughs> about how old were you? I was 11 or 12 years old. Okay. Did you play uh, any sports in school? Nope, but I built a race car when I was like in, still in high school. <laughs> yeah. yeah. From that point on, right? Yeah. So you, you go to your first race at Hickory and hear that motor and, and get all excited about that. Um, how long, where, where, where did you finally, where were you able to get, finally get your hands on a car and start tuning on one, well, working on one? It was kind of crazy. It was like when I was still in high school and, and, uh, and Dale Jarrett, and Jimmy Newsom were good friends of mine. Well, Jimmy, I actually Dale wasn't even the pitcher yet, but Jimmy was actually running the tire store there in Newton. Had graduated ahead of me a few years, and and uh, I was trying anything I could. I was trying to call anybody to help me. We didn't have any money. My, you know, we were poor back then. But I was trying to find somebody to help me build a car. I want to go up there and race. What kind of car were you going to build? We well, we started out. We built this Nova, a '72 Nova out of a '64 Chevelle frame. We go buy all this stuff and. And I don't like I, said, I don't have a clue about any of this, right? I'm, I'm just I want to do it. I got this this want to, but I don't have any real skills. And I started aggravating John Settlemeyer and Tommy Houston every like I, I'd kind of lay off one for a while and I go to the other guy, I'd wear him out to help me learn how to build this thing from the frame. I mean, we started with this frame, and then we built this whole car up. And about the time we get it on wheels, <laughs> Dale Jarrett walks in, and he it, with his dad Ned. And I thought, that's cool. It kind of checks out, you know. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know why, because Dale was a jock. You know, he was a golfer, uh, played three sports or more yeah. in high school. He, I just didn't see him. Even though his dad was a racer, I didn't did see y'all, him. Did y'all know him around town? Yeah. Oh, we knew each other because we went to the same high school. Okay. Yeah, that's what it was. Y'all were yeah. at the same high school at the same time. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. And, uh, and so they, 
basically the reason for their trip there was they wanted to drive that car. He'd heard we were building a car, and Dale wanted to drive it. And I'm like, oh, no way, man. Right. Heck no, I'm How did that conversation start? Oh, yeah. Oh, That's right. Well, here's the deal. I had a deal with Jimmy that we'd take it to the track, and whoever was fastest would drive it, right? I mean, she already knew I was going to be the fastest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I love that. So when so, Dale shows up, it's like, oh, man, this is not going to work out. You know, this is not what I want to do. But you're splitting sort of the responsibility and, and ownership of this car with Jimmy? It was 50-50, Jimmy Newsom and, and myself. So, and so when Dale walks in... Well, this is what happened. He, we didn't have any more money. We'd already spent every money. We had borrowed money and begged money from everybody. And we were at kind of a dead end anyway because we didn't have enough money to buy an engine for it. And so Jimmy, you know, kind of reminded me of that. He said, if we want to <laughs> race this car, we've got to do this deal. I said, okay. You know, I did, I did want to race it because we put so much effort in sure. it. Sure. And so I reluctantly agreed. And that basically set my career path as well as Dale Jarrett's, you know. And so now we're actually, you know, three-way partners in this deal before we ever go to the first race. And mm-hmm. we called it DAJ Racing, which was Dale, Andy, and Jimmy. How good did the car perform? Like, how, I, you know, it wasn't too bad. It was kind of weird. I've told this story many times. We get the car ready to go the first race. And I've got it sitting in this little garage, you know, garage we had in Newton. And Ned comes by. And he says, all right. And it had it all kind of just sitting, making it look right. And, you know, he said, how much wedge you got in that thing? And I'm like. Holy cow, what is that? What is a wedge? Yeah. I mean, really, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was 17 years old. Sure. I'm like, I thought it meant how much tilt, you know, from left to right. I said inch and a half. He goes, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> we show up the track, we ain't got a clue. What you, I mean, we, you crossways sure. have no idea, right? Dale starts in the back of a 24-car field and finished ninth. First time you ever set in one. It's amazing. Yeah. Nice. So, um, how what happens? Like, how he runs a car a couple times? And- yeah, we ran actually two Two seasons with that car. With Dale driving it? Dale, oh, yeah. And Limited Sportsman is what it was. It uh-huh. was Limited Sportsman Division at Hickory. And what, and, uh, what about you driving? No, well, that was done. Like I said, once he came in, I mean, the deal was he wanted to drive it, and that was it. You know, so now, my, like I said, it set my path as being a crew chief. All right. Were you not upset? Uh, not really upset. I actually enjoyed that part of it, too. Yeah. I always wanted to drive. You know, I always kind of, you know, I knew I... I, just, you know, I always wanted to do it, but it just never – the opportunity just didn't come along for, for quite a few years. So y'all run y'all run that car. You're sort of, you know, learning the ins and outs and mechanical side of a car and how it works and yeah. figuring out what wedge is. And all I figured things. it out like the third race. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd gone to John Settlemyer. I'm like, man, you got to help me with this. I don't know what it means. And he tried to explain it. And, man, he took a, a – like a – box or something he's trying to tell me you know you put a little shim put a little shim under the right front put it you know and now you see how all the weights on these two and as soon as he did that a light bulb went off Mm. in my (laughs) mind and i'm thinking i got it we're we're on our way to Asheville speedway to run a race up there on friday night yeah and so he says car's loose i I got it i got it put a little wedge in bam perfect so now now (laughs) now we're on the road you're a wedge oh yeah expert yeah you're a wizard yeah (laughs) (laughs) you have a wedge question here's your guy right Uh, here he's well that's actually the core of all of the racing suspension right once you understand what then 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 all the springs and shot everything you do then kind of relates back great point so yeah it was it was the base of it so you're traveling around to hickory Asheville. Also now, we're not making any money doing no, this, right? So I'm, wor- I'm working for Jimmy Newsom in the tire store, making oh, really? maybe two hundred dollars a week or something. So you still after after I graduated, this was so the first year we I was still in high school. The next year I graduated, went to National Auto Diesel College for a little while, and realized I didn't want to be a diesel mechanic. I was watching those guys come out of that mm-hmm. stuff. I was like, uh, that's not for me. Yeah. Plus, I wanted to race anyway. So did, did Ned 
uh, kick y'all a little money or something? Because no, he still- did a little. Yeah, no, I take that back. I, I mean, yes. If it wasn't for Ned, we wouldn't have been able to finance it. But it was still thin, man. I'm telling you, we were so poor. Was there bush money? Uh, well, little, but was just a little it? bit. What was the drinking age back then? Were y'all drinking a little bush, bush, uh, bush beer? In the- I'm, <laughs> it's a statute of limitations. Right <laughs> <out of me. laughs> yeah, it was 18 back then. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Take us back to the atmosphere at Hickory Motor Speedway. You know, it, it was kind of, I mean, this was back in the 70s, late 70s. And, you know, you had in the sportsman division, which I was, you know, had a big passion for and still do. It was, you know, Butch Lindley and Tommy Houston, Jack Ingram, John Settlemeyer. Those guys were running in that division. We're running the limiteds. And it was, you know, it was, uh, it was starting to get a little more polished. You know, everybody used to just show up in T-shirts and just, you know, it was just a redneck thing. But, you know, one thing that Ned really instilled in us, he was always this, you know, professional, wanted us to, you know, show up the racetrack and clean clothes. Don't, you know, so we, we had a, uh, you know, consciousness about our image. And uh, it was starting to change then. And um, but I, you know, hundred lap races for the for the late models. We ran twenty five or thirty five lap races in limited, and uh, it was fun, man. Y'all working in the tire store during the day, so you you get out of work and run right over to the shop where well, wherever the car's at. You had a little shop. We just ended up renting a little place there in Newton, and so yeah, we'd work there all night. I mean, it was just only time you just eat and sleep, right. work. But <laughs> like you'd, you'd get out of work, go over to the shop. Yep. You, Jimmy. Dale show up. So, yeah, Dale, Dale worked on it quite a bit. As a matter of fact, you'd be surprised how – he didn't know anything. He didn't know what a spark plug yeah. was when we started. And at, at, at the end of our – end of that, and in his career as, as an owner, and he can build a car. I mean, mm-hmm. he's really took on to it. I mean, he, he knows a lot about the race car. You run that car for two years, and that, then what happens? Well, like I said, we went broke doing it. And uh, Tom Piston, I got to say this, because if it wasn't for Tom Piston, we would have never been able to pull this off. He had a parts store in Charlotte. And he let us have an open account there to go buy our parts and what, it, and we weren't able to pay him like all year. The first year, nothing. I mean, we couldn't pay nothing. Why did he do that? I don't know. I think Ned probably just because of the relationship or something. Hmm. And so at the end of the year, we had to we sold that car and then paid Tom. Dang. Yep. And uh, I've, I've always thanked Piston for that. I mean, without him, we never made it happen. So I hear that, and I'm thinking. Dang, I'd be so bummed. I got to sell my race, but y'all, what was the plan? Well, then we ended up, after the first year, we sold that car, and then we ended up generating enough money with sponsor, whatever, I don't even remember, to do another one. So we built Built another another car car. for the next year. So that was the two years of limited sports. What what was different about this car? It was basically the same, but, but we had a little more professional help building it. Like Carlos Johnson was one of the guys that built cars back then. He helped us, and... And uh, we kind of knew a little bit more about what we were doing. Yeah. Um, came better. close a few times. You know, we finished second. We never won with it, though. But we Who did drove that car? Dale, Dale drove it both years. Okay. Yeah. Mm. And, then, and, then, so- and then he went on to run for other people and sportsmen and, you know, Baby Grand. And, and in what did you do? Well, I was, you know, I was working in the tire store and got married young. I got an offer from a doctor in, in Newton to run a service station. Dale actually worked for me there. Dale, the service yeah, station? Pumping gas. And I worked on cars in the base. Man. It was just me and Dale. Something. But this was after our <laughs> limited sportsman experience, yeah. and, and uh, so you ran a gas station just for a short time. And, th- and this was, like I said, an eye doctor in town. Well, he he got a real estate opportunity to sell that to the county to build a community center, and so boom, I'm out of work. I'm sitting there with a pregnant wife. I worked a gas station. Yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah. yeah, not making much money, but no, <laughs> but it's fun. What gas station did you e- work at? The Exxon station up on uh, Exit 36, still there. Really? Yeah. Did you so, pump gas or did you work in the shop? I in the pumped base? gas. 
So you and Dale, you and Dale, you need to compare notes with Dale yeah. Jarrett because he pumped gas. Yeah. Yeah. Who did it better? Which yeah. Dale did it better? It had a, they had a self-serve. So Dale and Dale show. Yeah. They had a, <laughs> Again. It was a small, they had a self-serve and a full-serve. And I, yeah. so when they pulled the full-serve, yeah. go out yeah. there and do it. We only had full-serve back then. But so now I'm out of work and, and, I, and I've just bought a little house and, you know, I got my wife's pregnant. It was my first son. And I was like, what am I going to do, you know? And so I went to Ned Jarrett. And I said, Ned, I, I really wanted to be in racing. I wanted to work on, you know, in a cup team. That's where I wanted to wind up. Mm-hmm. And he went out on a limb for me. He went out and talked to a good friend of his, Junior Johnson, and told Junior that I was this great tire changer. <laughs> right? I got, I got, he, Junior needed a rear tire changer. And so he put in this, you know, big push for me. Well, keep in mind, I'd never changed a tire. And did he, did he you know he me. was doing that? No. Did, did you know he was saying I knew saying he was that? helping me get an opportunity, and I didn't know what he actually said. You didn't know what he was saying. But I know I showed up, met with Junior. Junior puts me in the hauler to go to Texas World Speedway. And then what from year? Uh, 1981. Shoot. Daryl Walter was the yeah. driver. and it was that, They were winning everything. They were winning. They'd already won a handful of races and were leading the points. Okay, I show up at Texas World Speedway with, riding with Henry Benfield. <laughs> that was a trip. That's another whole podcast. Sure, we yes. talked about it on our yeah. So anyway, so we get there. It, we qualify not so good, but we end up taking the lead right off the bat. And uh, and then unscheduled, he comes down pit road. I don't have a radio. I just kind of queuing off the other guys. And I think, oh god, we got a flat tire, whatever. And I mean, I'm so nervous. You can't believe. He comes down pit road, and there's water running out the pipes on the left side. So. I was like, oh, thank God, I don't have to change that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, that's kind of yes. way I felt. So we go from there in the truck to Riverside, California, Gosh. sit on the pole there, and we're running. Junior's jacking the car. Jeff Hammond was a jack man, but he had, that weekend had taken that off to go on his honeymoon. He just got married. And so Junior's jacking. Caution comes out. He goes, four tired. <laughs> here he goes. I'm telling you, here we go. So we went out there and changed those tires. Came, you know, it ended up working out. We won the race. Wait, uh, how wait, long wait, 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 wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have you changed tires the first stop, right? The first Did, stop. when you got around to the left side, mm-hmm. are you kind of looking out of the corner of your eye if you're if you're ahead or no? Heck up no, with the man. I was I had enough going on with myself. I was just trying to get. I just wanted to finish. I just want to get it out. Yeah, you know. And we, I, you know, Tim Brewer was the front tire changer. I was the rear. Like I said, Hammond would have been the Jack Man, but it was Junior Johnson jacking the car. Damn, it, what it, a freaking experience! Yeah, yeah, it and, was. and Junior Johnson thinks that you've been jacking t- uh, oh, or changing oh, tires. No, the all expectations up. are high, right? Right. And so at that first stop, mm-hmm. does Junior Johnson still think you you've got all this experience and you still haven't changed a, st- uh, a single never, tire yet? I never told him. <laughs> he never knew. <laughs> I don't guess so. Yeah. Wow. They didn't figure no. it out either. But I, you know, I mean, I really owe Ned Jarrett up because if without him doing that, I wouldn't have gotten that opportunity. How How did you fit in with that. that group though, man? That not good. Not good. That's that's a good point. They're established. You know, they're kind of been together a long time. They got their. It was not good, and the like, reason is the guy that was changing the rear tire was one of those guys, one of the established guys, yeah. and he had, he had left a couple of them loose at, at a couple of races, and that's why he wanted to change it. Ah, and so, so I he got. Stayed, that's how I, he was still there. Oh, he was there in the shop. Yeah, Ooh, so it was. It was. It was kind of. It was rough for a while. But we, you know, I, I toughed it out the first. You know, through the whole year, we won the championship. Did you work in the shop any? A little bit. I, at the, you know, but it was like I said, they wouldn't let me work on the car. It wouldn't. You know, they were all. It was just like yeah. pushing me over in the corner. It was just not good. Huh. So I went and talked to Junior. I went in his office one day and I said, "Look, man, I said you don't need to be paying me to sit around here. They won't let me work on anything." What do you say? And so he said, "I got to have you changing tires." I said, well, "All right, you just pay me on the weekends. I'll keep doing." And so 
we finished the season out and, and it, you know, won the championship, went to New York, first time we ever did that. And then it was it was great. And then the next year they gave the, the other guy a chance back on the rear. Yeah. And so what happened to you? That's when I met Johnny Hayes and Phil Parsons and, and the whole Skull. Who's bunch. Johnny Hayes? Johnny Hayes was a, a Skull representative but actually owned the team. You remember the 55 car that Benny drove, that yep. Copenhagen? That was actually Johnny Hayes racing. And uh, but at the time Phil was driving a number twenty eight Bush Series car. It was awesome. It was yeah. He was he was good man. Yeah. And so we, I was working on that team with him. You know I was I was actually selling batteries when I left full time out of junior shop and still changing tires. I, I was selling batteries out of a battery truck for I don't know better part of a year maybe. And then so I was doing that. And then I'd work on Phil's car at night at Harry Gant's shop in Taylorsville. Really? That's where they raced out of. Yeah. And so we did that and. Uh, then we kind of took that little core group at the middle of 1982 and made that little that team that went out with the 55 and Benny Parsons and ran like five races that year. Yeah. And then the next year we ran all the you know like the half season big the big events with, with Phil. No, with Benny. Oh, okay. Did with you Benny. work on the car that Phil flipped at Dega? No, it was in our shop. I was actually on the team that Benny Benny was in that race too. We were yes. in that. And um, boy, I really miss Benny up. That wreck happened, you know, and he drove by. He was, I mean, he was a mess. Really? Oh, Talk yeah. About it. Oh, you look at it. I mean, you look yeah, at that oh, car. Yeah. I mean, good Lord. He thought it killed Phil. Yeah. And um, he was ready. We were going to let him get out, you know. But then all of a sudden somebody comes, hey, Phil's all right. Phil's okay. And uh, somehow we, you know, Benny pulled it back together. Yeah. And we ended up finishing second. almost won mm-hmm. in that race. But What kind of, working with Benny, what was that like? Oh, he was so, man, he was so cool. He was Everything you see about Benny is true. He's just everything. It, it's just who he is. He's such a gentleman, and, and I think he was one of the most underrated drivers ever. Mm-hmm. You know, he was really good, man. I mean, he was. He drove our car that year, that '82, and then '83 full time. I think in '83 might have been the last race of that year. '83 at Riverside, we went out there with him, and the big wreck happens off turn nine. It was it was Tim Richmond and 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 Daryl. And it was coming to the caution for rain. Well, we were running third with Benny. And I thought, oh, man, we just won this race, you know. And Leo said, hang on, it ain't over yet, you know, because we still had to run some caution laps. Well, sure enough, they go back green for a half a lap. It rains again. And now it's at the very end, and they're coming down down the back stretch to come to the caution. And there's this redheaded guy, kid that hadn't won a race yet, running second. He drives in there and drives right by Benny. Bill Wins Elliott. That yeah. Bill Elliott. <laughs> Go back to uh, – step back to the 28 uh, Xfinity car that Phil Parsons was driving. He won at Bristol. Yep. Were you working on that oh, car? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Phil wasn't – like his brother, Benny – you know, Benny – They won't, Benny's from North Wilkesboro, but a lot of people like to talk about his cl- taxi cab driving up in – Detroit. Detroit. Yeah. He was a uh, ARCA standout before he came to the Cup Series in the early 70s and then won a championship in just a couple of years. Phil, what was his driving experience? Like, before, when he comes to drive that 28 Bush car, like, you, what, what do you, when you look at Phil, what kind of driver are you looking All at? All right. So, Phil and I are great friends, still are. Sure. And we were back then. But he was so cocky. and you know, <laughs> I mean, he really was. He thought he was just going to come in here, going to dominate yes. everything. And, and so, he had all this confidence. And he had driven, uh, what, Baby Grand mm-hmm. before that and a handful of, of late mile sportsman races before the Bush Series started. And, and so, he was taking on this thing and then doing it right, you know, got skull back in it and had really good cars and 
like I said, had a ton of confidence. We ran good. A lot of places wrecked a lot, and you know, had speed, good speed, but had speed, yeah. and then but went to Bristol. Harry Gant set that car up really for How? Bristol. And his he just put his setup in it in the shop. I mean, he basically did it himself. Yeah, wouldn't let anybody touch it. <laughs> Is that the yeah. car? That is a sharp oh, looking yeah. car. Oh yeah, that I was think uh, the one. He well, the one at Bristol was actually a Grand Am. That's the Ventura that we yeah. ran. That's at Darlington. I'll tell you a little, little secret about that that picture right there. If you look this close, you'll see Phil. If you can blow it up, you'll see Phil's got a little band aid right there. I don't know if it shows in the picture. Well, we'd hit the wall at Darlington in practice with that car, and they were going to do a, make a picture, you know, of the car to do that card. Well, he's he's jumping over there, and I'm we're. Beating the fender out, right front fender, trying to get back out and practice. And we were, I guess, weren't hitting it hard enough for him. He said, give me that hammer. And he's like, wham. Missed. <laughs> Whack. Oh, yes. my gosh. <laughs> Got him. Yeah, that was funny. But my we, favorite we some... Phil Parsons memory, <laughs> he's driving the 17 car in the Cup Series. And yeah, for Hamby. Yeah, it has skull on it. And he broke in Bristol, and he's mad. But he gets uh, – he <laughs> pulls down – he pulls in the backstretch pit – and he gets out of the car. He leaves the car sitting there. Somebody, uh, I think Bobby Allison, had a problem in his uh, with his steering wheel. Oh, I remember something or about something. This. Yep. And uh, Phil runs over to his car and is going to get the steering wheel out of it and give it to Bobby, who's over on the race. I think he did. Yeah, who's yeah. over on the race track. But he didn't dis he didn't disconnect the cord <laughs> to the button. <laughs> and he grabs that wheel and he's hauling ass it, it, it stopped. around his car and he's like. <laughs> <laughs> almost turned him for a flip. It's just a really funny moment. Oh my uh, god, I'll That's never hilarious. forget. It's like 1985, I think. But uh, no, no, Phil, Phil's great. I won my first race as a crew chief with Phil in cup in the Cup Series. Yeah, at Talladega. So we got some good memories about yeah. that race. What what year? That was '88. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about that race? How did he win that? Like to, to go <laughs> as, the go, car go, was, go, go back. He had the yeah, fastest car. That's right. Yeah, he did. No, I know. But what what was in that car? <laughs> okay, statute of limitations hasn't run out on that no, one. No, it's yet. run out. No, yeah. I don't think so. It, it's run out. No, because no, listen, I'm going to tell you oh, something. We had, we had a few tricks back then. Back then, it was, you know, it, it wasn't so much. If you if you built a car by the rule book, it, uh, you want to know where they went. Oh, yeah. So you the, the way you raced is how you raced to the enforcement. Whatever the enforcement of level course. was, you were always snuggling right up and ne- right next to it. And that's the, the good crew chiefs were the ones that knew where that was. Like you couldn't. Like no new guy could come in there and figure it out. You have to just keep working. Hey, you don't have to it. explain it to us. We're we're all about it. Okay. We we love this. Yeah. Uh, we love this. We, love we, we had a little advantage. We love the innovation. That. That's what we call. We it. love innovation. Right. Yeah. We we had uh, Chad Ganaus pulling out all his uh, <laughs> tricks and everything. But oh, we, I'm guaranteeing he didn't pull them all out. I even had BW <laughs> in here admitting some of his because oh, you talking about, I heard that thing about the lid how, dropping out of the shot. You know how prideful he is. He won everything fair and square. Oh yeah, right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You were a genius on the on the pit box and set the thing. Where did this come from? I mean, seriously, because you 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 are telling us that you didn't even know you didn't know what wedge was, and now you're winning a race with Phil Parsons. You are, let's say, applying some uh, some imagination to maybe not imagination. You're applying some of your, you know things that you can uh, uh, you know 
set yourself apart on this car. Where does this come from? Well, a lot of most of it's want to, right? I wanted to do this. I wanted to be successful so bad that I was willing to do whatever it took. And you know, I didn't like that. I didn't have an engineering degree. I didn't back then. None of the crew chiefs did, but you know. I, I was at least smart enough to know what I didn't know, and I would I would always seek out people that I knew that had that had more you know either experience or knowledge or and I was never afraid to do that. Uh, I mean I did that through my whole career, you know like I told you about John Settlemyer and Tommy Houston. I mean I aggravated them to the to no end. I mean they just got tired of seeing me coming because I just have a list of questions a mile long, you know about everything. And I just I wanted to I wanted it so bad that I was willing to do, just use every resource that I could to, to get me there. Do you tell drivers? I, honestly, this could be a question for you. How much does a crew chief tell the driver what things they're doing or trying or in, in, in um, the car? The stuff that you don't want. <laughs> okay, so he knows a lot of things that were happening with this car. I was I'll go ahead and tell you that right now. He might not admit it, but he knew about everything that was happening. You don't, you, you know, one reason you tell the driver is you got what one reason you tell him a little <laughs> bit though, and you want him to know is you want him to think he's got an advantage. That's a good point. Because oh. that, that is yeah. usually worth more. He's just him yeah. thinking he's got an advantage is usually worth more than the actual advantage. I used to race late models with Gary Hargett, mm-hmm. and I told him, I said, What I said, whatever you're going to tell me, lie to me. <laughs> so that just like you say, yep. I think that man. Uh, this thing's gonna fly, right? Yeah. And you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna take a little wedge out, if you're gonna change the right rear spring, don't tell me that. Don't even tell me. <laughs> Just don't even tell me. Let me yeah. go out there and tell you how it drives. I don't want a predetermined idea in my head what it's gonna drive like, right? Because I'm already I'm already gonna screw it up. <laughs> but if but if you want to tell me you put rocket fuel in there. By all means, tell, tell me, me you put some rocket yeah. fuel in this thing. <laughs> some people reacted to that different. Like your dad. It wouldn't really matter to him much. Really? You know why? Because he was getting 105 to 10% out of that car every lap all the time. So you could, you could if you tell him that, it doesn't help any, right? Yeah. He's already giving you more than, than you should be getting. But mm. the other drivers would. This is a good story with Harry. So we built this car. It ended up being one, the car that we won the four in a row with in oh, 91. Yeah. We built it, and it built it super, super light. So we had a lot of ballast in the right-hand side that you to make the minimum weight, I think, was 1,600 pounds at the time. And so we made this little deal, you know, exploiting some of the rules where Harry had a little ratchet. We would take in the right side battery box. We didn't put a battery in it. We just put some lead pieces over there. And then on the line where we're putting him in the car, you used to let the interior guy get in the car and help him, right? So they would swap <laughs> this over. Harry would stick it over in the seat. beside. So you'd make total weight, right? But they never really looked at the right side weight. And so we put these pieces over there and make it left side hit. Well, shoot, man, Harry... You tell him, because he, he's doing it. He knows he's got this advantage. He's not going to let anybody beat it. Well, by the time that four-in-a-row deal comes around, this car's been run, you know, quite a few times. And you know what happens? They get heavier as you run them. <laughs> well, by the time we did it, the thing was already 1,600 pounds on the right with no weight. You know, so we didn't even have any ballast in the right side of this thing. And so the interior guy, Scott Robinette, says, you know, we still need to be swapping that lead just so Harry – to not lose that advantage, right? Right, right. So, the mental advantage. So we were going from, like 40 pounds or 50 pounds over on the right with that thing in there and just switch, switch it over here. It wasn't even illegal. <laughs> Harry, <laughs> Harry's like, uh-uh, I, got, I got more or less that weight than you. I'm going to beat you. That's and he so did. Awesome. Yeah. awesome. Yep. That's wow. perfect. I don't even know if Harry knows yeah. that, but he does now. Dude, these guys are playing mind games. <laughs> yep, yep. That was the advantage. And then he had this in his mind that one certain car was better than the other one, so we just changed the stickers on the dash sometimes so he didn't know which one it was. Yeah. 
That really happened? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was always usually smart enough to figure out that, uh, yeah. yeah, this is not the car because yeah. the pedals are something, you know, y'all know. You're, you're sort of confirming what I've always suspected. Drivers are sort of mental, right? Oh, they're, 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 they're head you're cases. You're just now figuring that they're, out. They're head cases, right? They are head and you, you have to just, just to get them, sometimes it's just to shut them up, <laughs> just drive the car, and you have to trick them into like Jedi mind tricks. Yeah. yeah. We used to have all, we, when we, we used to party all the time down in the saloon. Everybody that came in there that wanted vodka wanted Grey Goose. Got to have yeah. Gray Goose. So you Gotta just poured another one in there, yeah. So we, we, when the Gray Goose bottle was empty, we just started taking the Burdettes and pouring yeah. that in there. <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> you want some Gray Goose? Here you there go. go. <laughs> Man, you guys make careers out of lying to people is what y'all have done. I tell you. <laughs> y'all just tricking people. On. Yeah, what's real anymore? So, wow. Okay, do, do we want to talk about Harry Gant 91? Because that's... Uh, that was an amazing stretch right there. It was. It was something special. You I mean, I still think we could try to pry out what was so good about that 1988 Talladega. Okay, car. good. Because, yeah. all right, listen. <laughs> oh, let's just let go. Listen, <laughs> your, your, stat, your statute of limitations may not be up. Ours passed a long okay. time ago. So right. it is. It is assumed. Well, you don't have to say. I can't believe I'm going to do this, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you what it is. All right, well, let's hear it. Okay, so we we run the Daytona 500 in '88. Ran good. Uh, and we did well. What happened was. Uh, we were, you know, we were pitted around the, the 12, I think it was a 12 car Bobby Allison was driving. And anyway, I suspected they were sucking air under the restrictor plate. Back then there was... Bobby won the Daytona 500 that year, I think. Uh, were, yeah, he David. sure did. And yep. I was suspecting this. I could hear the way it was idling. I could hear all these things. And, you know, then he obviously goes out there and wins the 500. We ended up finishing third with Phil. And, um, and, I, and, and we just, even though we finished third, we couldn't even compete with them. I mean, they were like in another league. And so I went told leo jackson he's gonna be really mad when he hears this <laughs> but i went and talked to leo about you know if we want to compete then we got to do what they're doing i said we got to figure out a way they're they're finding a way to get air under around that restrictor plate we have got to figure it out and um so he said all right he, he was very reluctant he didn't want to do it but he i said uh, as a matter of fact we got an argument i said okay if you just want to go to the race and just show up we'll do that too mm. so he got mad Went to work, fixed a manifold. It's one of the most amazing pieces of art you've ever seen. I mean, it, it cut it in pieces, made it, put these holes in it, and it was – I still got it. You still have oh, it? Oh, yeah. Heck, yeah, I got Damn. it. Damn. Yeah, I got it on shelf. Like, where do you, you keep – I just keep it in my shop. At shop somewhere? Oh, yeah. That's so awesome. And uh, I guess I feel things too, but so, – <laughs> So we put that thing on there, and uh, and Leo did it right. I mean, it, and it, it was worth a pretty good advantage. Yeah. And uh, – we don't, we don't sit on the pole, though. I, yeah. Apparently, everybody else is doing it, too. And uh, so the last lap of the race, Bobby's trying, Bobby finished second, and we ended up winning. And boy, I was wondering how Bobby was making that, that front end on that Buick mm -hmm. run so good uh -huh. on the plate track. Cause that it was, front end it was, was what's underneath the front end that was making it run. The, the grill mm -hmm. on the Buick at that time was it's like running backwards, the wrong way, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the opposite of yeah, what you he was. He was pretty good, too. He was. But that was uh, after the race was over. We were tearing the engine down. I look around, there's no Leo Jackson. <laughs> he wasn't going to be nowhere around <laughs> it. But we got it through. Yeah. It was, he did a really good job with it. But we, I'll tell you what he did do. This is the best thing. He goes back to the shop, and he makes this thing that will actually bolt on the engine, pull a vacuum on it, and check for that. And takes it the next week to the garage and gives it to the series director. And he says, if I can't cheat, nobody can. This is what we need to be doing. So he showed them how to use it. That thing is still being used in the garage today. Wow. That, that, no that similar thing. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's why they tech them now. I know that uh, I never heard that about uh, the 
the Bobby's car. I know that um, I thought that that was the big rumor on the four car when it was winning all the plate races. I think it's probably more than, more than a rumor. Yeah, <laughs> like they had drilled. It the, had gotten so hard by that time, though. That's why you got to give. Yeah, uh, I guess it's Runt Pittman was building the engines. Yeah, and Tony Glover. You got to give him a lot of credit because it was hard to get by with that back then. Yeah. I, they, I heard that they had dr- they were drilling the studs for the carburetor the carburetor studs they were drilling holes in Something. those down in there and yeah then, and then routing into the you need to get Glover in here yeah. put him on the hot seat oh, make yeah. him come clean oh, yeah. yeah it's <laughs> fun it's fun you've already got me <laughs> <laughs> give us some context about Leo Jackson you, you've you've mentioned his name several times so like who was he and what did he do okay Leo Jackson was. You know, back in the 70s, you know, Bob Presley drove and won all those races, a ton of races in that red number four. That was mm-hmm. that was Leo and Richard Jackson's car. That was? Oh, yeah. They built that. Um, well, I didn't yeah. know that. I thought that that was their no, that family was Le- car. No, no. That was Leo and Richard Jackson. I got so many pictures of that car on and, my phone. And they won over half the races all over the country. Yeah. I mean, crazy how they, how good they were. They were ahead of their time. And uh, so he, he ends up going cup racing with Dave Marcus a little bit. And I was working for Johnny Hayes, and he went, you know, with that 55 team. We're just kind of getting that thing off the ground with Denny, and he goes and gets Leo to come over and kind of be the crew chief and uh, and kind of abandon what he was doing with his – because he was going crazy trying to do his own cup deal. And he said, yeah, I'll let somebody else pay for it. I'll go do that. And that ended up becoming Leo Jackson Motorsports a few years later with when Harry Gant came from, from Travis Carter over to drive our car, and we still had the 33. Wow. So that's uh, Leo Jackson Motorsports, and we called it Skull Bandit Racing back then. And mm-hmm. that was the team that I ended up buying after I won the titles with your dad. And, yeah. and, uh, and then That's right. That's right. All right, so are we satisfied with the Phil Parsons explanation? I am. Okay, so then we go move on <laughs> I, to the next trick to, car. I took – so I tried that. So I heard <laughs> – I heard that y'all were doing that kind of stuff, and when I ran my late model at Myrtle Beach, the, mm-hmm. the Allen plugs in the in, in the intakes. In, yeah. Yeah. I would drill a hole in the side of that Allen plug and then valley it into the into the intake, but then you could turn that Allen plug of, you know, a quarter of a turn and, seal and it seal it. Yeah. So nobody, you know, it wouldn't leak. Then you, when you get ready to go run, you clock that, clock that <laughs> thing back a little bit and open it up. It was good for it was big on a two barrel carburetor, <laughs> but uh, didn't help me win. But <laughs> still had to go through the corner better. Harry Gant. So you talked about Harry setting up that car uh, in his shop, and so you'd been around Harry for a while uh, since the early '80s, right? Actually, I you know I've been exposed to Harry Gant back in the '70s. You know, when I first started going to Hickory, he was racing there, and he right. was he actually a hero of mine. I mean, it was like, mm. I mean, it just doesn't get much better than what he was doing. He was. You know, he's the coolest guy on the track and winning races and, you know, from my home track. How do you end up crew chiefing for him? Like, how does – why did you move from Phil's deal? Like, how did all that happen? Well, like I said, I, I worked on Benny's cup team, and Leo Jackson was, you know, the crew chief, then the owner of that mm-hmm. car. And um, and, and when I, we won in 88, Leo was the owner. And then in 89 is when we kind of split that up. With the 55 became Richard Jackson's team. And then we formed this new team that was, you know, Leo Jackson Motorsports in Asheville for Harry Gant. And he, you know, he Leo had already made me the crew chief of the car that Phil was driving, but so he wanted to know if I'd move up there and build this team. And I didn't really want to move to Asheville, but I, I knew it was a really good opportunity for me, so I took it. And, Asheville's awesome. 
it is, but it's just not where I'm from. You know, I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't have any regrets, but it just at that time, I didn't really want to move up there. But sure, cold. Where, but wherever wherever the work is, I'm going. Build a team. Yep. So we built a team up there. Built a team. Yep. And it, from scratch. Yep. And we put put it in the back of. Uh, Where'd you get cars from? Brand new. Uh, banjo. Yeah, banjo. Built brand new. And cars. we we ended up at that that first year. We ended up designing our own front clip. Uh, over the over the winter, me and Leo and, and Scott Robinette was the fabricator that built it all for us. We we, we locked ourselves in there during the, the Thanksgiving week we were shut down, and <laughs> yeah. we, we built this thing basically. Why did you want to build the clip? Because Harry Gant liked these rear steer cars, right? Mm-hmm. He really liked, but but rear steer cars were so out of favor because there's just so many things wrong with that. Yeah, and so we thought again we can maybe trick him a little bit. We can. <laughs> We can build the whole front suspension that looks just like a rear steer car, but put the steering box in front. And so that's what we did. We just packaged the whole steering, you know, assembly in front of the axle. And um, and so that's what we had. We had our own front clip. We just built out of that. And so you, what did the lower A-frame look like? Just like the banjo car. The strut? It was strut rod. Wow. Uh, had the Ford lower controller. All that was exactly like the rear steer car. And when did Harry finally transition fully to a traditional front steer? Well, it was after I left. Oh, okay. Um, because we ran that suspension all the way until I came up to And to, you were uh, probably RCR. absolutely the last guy running any kind of lower A-frame With the rear rod. steer stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. I know uh, we had a rear steer late model from uh, Robert Elliott we bought uh, for Kelly, and I'm a, I, I still to this day have no idea how to set that thing up, <laughs> set the front end yeah. up. Is a mess. Everything about it, like you just said, everything about it is wrong. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's just you, you find ways to crutch it to make it work, but it was all wrong. And, and once we moved the the steering box in in front, it really it was it was a good car. It yeah. really was. And that's the that's the the uh, suspension and snout that we ran when we won four in a row with Harry. Yes. So mm-hmm. I've watched a video. Mike sent this video mm-hmm. to me the other day of you showcasing that car in your shop. Yep. And you talked. To, I always knew about the cambered housing. We want to talk about that a little bit, just the ingenuity and creativity there. But I didn't know any of the other things that you showed us about that car as far as that front suspension. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty incredible. You guys, I mean, that's a monumental change. It's not like, hey, man, we're going to we're gonna trick up the, the, you know, the intake and we're going to try to camber this rear housing. Yeah. That's like a half of the race car that y'all really oh, yeah. reinvented. We did, yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, and that's – Leo Jackson was super smart, and so he – you know, he, with his engineering and, and machining capabilities, like I said, he, he had a machine shop that was in front of our race shop to make everything we needed. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, we just built it. and it just had, We didn't have any real engineering help, but we were able to make it work. That's what I was wondering, is that this is well before the, you know, engineering boom uh, of NASCAR. And so, like, I'm, I'm just curious, where are these ideas seated at, right? Like, and how, what is the flow of information? What... How drunk do you have to be <laughs> to, to be able to say, "Hey, let's do this to a car," and it, and everybody be like, "That's a good idea," you know, and 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 people not look at you like you're crazy. Yeah, I, I, that wasn't that far fetched. I mean, like you said, okay. the, the 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 you know the rear steer suspension, as far as the geometry, was pretty well established, right? That's what most cup cars were up until the you know the Mike Laughlin type front steer cars came along and. All you're really doing is just moving the steering box ahead, and it so it was kind of a logical thing, even though it did took a it took a complete rebuild to make it that way. But it wasn't that big of a stretch. You got that car in your collection that you won the four in a row with uh, Harry, and you said in the video that you thought you might be letting it go. 
Well, I'm moving out of the building that I have now, and I've got that one, and I've got Jack Ingram's car, that late model sportsman car, that I'm going to have to find a home for. So, Why don't you want to keep them? I don't have anywhere to put it. I'm going to downsize. I'm selling everything I've got in Hendersonville and moving to Lake Norman. I've got, I have just finished a smaller building uh, over in Denver. That they I'm make gonna, lifts, you know, and yeah. racks and stuff. You can put them cars in I just the I need to downsize my life. I've got too much stuff, You man. can't get rid of those. I mean, what – why don't you just give them to the, let the Hall of Fame store? Well, I did, store? That, actually, the Harry Gant car was in the Hall of Fame for. for but they a got a time. building; they'll put them in there. Yeah, I'll figure out something. I'll end up probably selling them though. Don't. <laughs> don't let them go to the private collectors. Yeah. Yeah, they need to stay in the right hands, man. Yeah, it's a cool car. We took it to uh, Darlington. Did you see that video? <laughs> Where you drove it, right? I did drive yes, it. Yes, yeah. I did see that. That was about what three. But or Harry four drove years? it too. Okay. Harry, Harry drove it fast. Yeah. He how, was 75 how, years old. He was. I got a video I'll show you. He's still getting it done, I oh, know, yeah. right? Yeah, how long ago was that? That was in 15, I think. That That's right. Okay. I took the Nova to Charlotte the other day, and I couldn't. I was scared to go over 90 or 100 mile an hour with it. That, it is that a rear steer? Uh, I don't think it is. No, It's not? Okay. I don't think it is. The last time the clip was put on it in 88. Yeah. But uh, I was scared to drive it fast because I know how hard it is to make it look the way it looks, right? Oh, I know. So <laughs> I take this car out at Darlington. I've never driven Darlington. Never a lap, you know. So I'm trying to get Harry to go out. I had a set of stickers that Goodyear gave us to put on it and, you know, go out there and try to run a lap. And he said, I don't know, man. Because he'd already run pretty quick. He said, if I go out there again, he said, I'm going to try to hold it wide open through one and two. And I, I, I don't want to hit that wall again. He said, if you want to go fast, you drive it. <laughs> I said, all right. So I get just in. tell him that the weight uh, distribution. Yeah, I, yeah, I just tell him, hey, let me move some weight and then go. So I get in that thing, and I pull off pit road, and I you know, get it in high gear. I'm you know, flat-footed, going down into three. You know, I'm not going to you know, pull around here. Just go. <laughs> well, I turn in just a little bit too early and clip the apron getting into three. <laughs> that thing starts sliding like this, and I'm like, you – I was like, oh, God, no. <laughs> no, don't hit that wall. I thought I'd killed it. <laughs> I somehow oh, didn't hit it. Dang. But then I kind of gathered it back up and got my heart rate back down and ran about five laps. Yeah. That would have been terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, like real. 10 seconds later, he's like, now we're going into one. Wide open. <laughs> Hold it down. <laughs> Dropping no, the No, I hammer. never did that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how – so, you know, cambered housings, towed housings, all that stuff is – so common and everybody's doing everything they can to max 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 even thousands of a degree right what was the again mike kind of tapped into what my thought is here is to what how's the conversation start okay so here's what happened with that so that was in the real early days of the radial tire right it was in 1990 is that the first time you ever thought in your mind I would love to have a little more camera. No, that, yes, that was the first time. But here's what drove us to that. Because that radial tire, we were running kind of the same. We just put the tires on and go run the same setups. And we don't have any tire data like they have now. There's so much data that the crew chiefs engineers have, and it's generated. You know exactly where to put the toes and the cameras. We didn't have any of that. And so we're just kind of going from history, which was we were on three and a half over here, three and a half, three here. On the front. On the front. This is front, front cameras. Well, then the engineers, the tire engineers, were trying to give us a little bit of you know, hey, man, y'all try a little more camber in those front tires. So it's their fault everybody started running more camber. They're, they're the first ones to say something about it. <laughs> and so we tried, and gosh, it really reacted to it. I mean, it really reacted to camber. It was crazy because a bias by tire was kind of numb to it. You yeah. know, you could put a little more camber. It might be a little. But it, what, this thing, you put a little bit, boom, it was good. You know, you knew it, it was there. And so we go to Richmond, 
we finally got the front cambers kind of figured out, but we come back from the Richmond race and we used to have to dismount all of our tires that we ran in the race, unlike today where they just throw them in a hauler and somebody else does it all. But I'd always go out there on Mondays and look at all the tires that came off the car to just see, you know, make sure we're trying to get the maximum out of the car. You know, if you're wearing the right rears too much over the, re- you know, you're trying to look at all that. Well, I start looking, we're killing the outside edge of the right rear tire. Mm-hmm. Like it's wearing twice as much as the inside and it's kind of the same thing on the left and so like dang you know that camber deal would work if we could get some camber in this rear end and so i go to leo and i leo jackson and i said what what do you think about this all right he said i don't know how you get that axle to work you know it's all this stuff designed to run straight (laughs) i said i I got an idea i said if you'll help me with it i said i'm gonna crown this i'm gonna put that axle in the lathe and i'm gonna put like a little ball on it and um and then no i said why don't you do that? Because I, I was going to do it myself, but I didn't have the right tooling. I didn't really know. He said, "Let me do that part." So he goes and does that, brings it back to me, but it still won't go in the it still won't go in the drive plate because the root of the spline needed to be the same way. So I put it in the lathe, and I just took a I literally took a ziz wheel on an air, air hose, and I went down in that root all the way around those splines of that axle, and made it kind of ball shaped. Stuck and got it where it would actually fit in the car. After we, this is after we yeah. cambered. We, we actually bent the housing like a half a degree maybe the first time. No more than that. No more than about one anyway. Because that's all it really wanted to give up. You know, you're trying to bend this housing. Good. Yeah. And then, then, then we try to make these axles fit. We finally make them fit. And we take it to a couple of races. It, the, the, it didn't just start off. We didn't start winning right when we did it. Right. It was kind of an evolution. Then we ended up putting a little more and trying to get a little more, getting a little better at it, and gre- you know put grease, make sure they could live, and we just kept sneaking up on it until yeah. the the ninety one four in a row. By that time, we had gotten it pretty mature. So mm. the uh, the problem initially with trying to camber the housing, you can torch the housing or cut it or do whatever you want to do to make the actual housing flange have camber, but then you have a drive plate and an axle and all those things like you say that are made to run straight. You had to shape the axle but mm-hmm. then the valleys of the teeth yeah. right in the axle itself. that's what i had to take that zis wheel and go down in there and that was the, make that was the key i wouldn't even thought about that i'd have been like oh ain't gonna work what what's, we're gonna give up who's, who's got another idea <laughs> nobody normal thinks about that right I know it. <laughs> this is what makes them good this so is it. but the combination of that the front end and a few other things really gave that car the biggest a thing competitive advantage the biggest thing is the edge. engine what People about the motor don't really know much about the engine at that time, like I said, we had worked all these cambers out. We'd already gotten made a lot of headway on some things. And then we found out that we were behind on our engine stuff. That, that There was a loophole in the rules. There was a 22-degree angle or 23-degree angle rule for, for the cylinder heads. Mm-hmm. Well, they had a, teams that were welding up the heads and then just basically rolling them. And uh, it was kind of a loophole. And we were way behind the curve. We didn't realize it because we're up in Asheville, and we're not kind of in the mainstream, but somehow it gets to us that we're behind on it. Well, our guys go to work, and like I said, Leo Jackson is one of the best. And they do, I mean, they do it right. It mm. took 200 hours of welding, though, on those heads to make them. And then you remachine them, reshop paint them, reheat treat, all this stuff. Well, that, that engine, that race at Darlington was the first race we showed up with that motor. <laughs> so, to me, <laughs> that's, that's what sent us over the edge, that it yeah. was the engine. Dang. Along with all the other things. Sure. Incredible. I'm trying to process 200 hours of welding. One guy... Yeah. It took him weeks and weeks. It took forever to weld these things. Damn. I mean, it was really, I mean, you're talking about welding three quarters of an inch of, or more on one side to, of the head, when like did, on the base of the head. When did you start to see around the garage everybody tuning in to the, to the camber? Uh, it was, 
I don't know how that got out so easily. It shouldn't have. I, I guess we were just weren't, you know, we weren't tight-lipped enough about it. And then, you know, all of a sudden, then we're playing catch-up because everybody right. else is going instead of one degree or one and a half, I think is where we wound up. They're going three and three and a half. Till they're break, and then they're breaking axles and they're, yeah. you know, we never – you know, we never did break an axle or, or strip a spline doing that. That's yeah. amazing. But, that's but a lot so, of teams did. That's like the perfect example of how the garage works. You know, the teams observing each other. I'd go to, and I know you're well in the throes of this and deep into what's happening, but my favorite part of the competition meeting was the part when Alan Gusterson would open up his laptop and connect to the 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 whiteboard on mm. the wall and show us all of the photos that they took all weekend of everybody <laughs> else's stuff. Yep. And oh <laughs> man, look at how they've got that made. Look at how they've shaped this. And that was my favorite part is to it's sort crazy of how see the detail these photos are that they yeah. get from the roof that you you know you see a lot. I mean, it's, it's hard to hide stuff on the outside of the car. It sure is. Mm. And we're, the garages are. Ob- I mean, the the you're while you're in there working on your own car. You know, especially back when we had practice, which we hopefully get back at some point, some some shape or form. You're you're not only working on your own car, but you are work, looking at every, every opportunity when a wheel comes off of that car next to you, and you get a shot at oh, it. Yeah. You get to look in there you're and see what they're doing. Yeah, every opportunity to be able to to see a different vantage point from your competitor's car because usually you only see it on the racetrack or sitting on the, ra- yeah, sitting on the ground. Everybody's pretty uh, protective of that stuff. I know yeah. when I was at you know, ESPN and, and working with Fox, I could walk through the garage. You know, I wasn't a threat, right? I could look under people's hoods. I'd talk to it. You know. Man, as soon as I walked in with this shirt on, Oh yeah, I, I just uh, you know you kind of get you forget you kind of forget. So I walk in there, I'm looking. I think it was Joy Logano's <laughs> car, and I'm standing there looking at it, and that guy's, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Listen, I know we're supposed to – I know we're supposed to talk about all your, you know, your days with Dale Earnhardt and uh, and Rad and everything, but I still got one more I want to ask you about, okay? Because <laughs> this stuff is fascinating, and I'm impressed. I was watching a, an interview that Ray Everham gave, and where he was talking about this deck lid at Daytona. He's the one giving that up. Well, I guess. I mean, I, it's on YouTube. <laughs> really? All right. What did so, he say about it? Well, the deck pin, the 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 pins. Like somehow was it his? No, yours. Oh, okay, he yeah. said this was yours. Yeah, where Earnhardt could lower. No, what, wasn't Earnhardt. It was. It, it was, was not it Earnhardt. Was Harry Gant. It was Harry Gant. Yeah. <laughs> I've still got it. I've still got the deck. Is this on the same shelf as the? Uh, it's close to it. <laughs> he's got a tro- he's got a trophy case of all his most. When stuff. it comes to selling uh, your stuff, I want all those things. I want, <laughs> I want all the. I want your little. Cheated up parts. <laughs> so listen, if Ray Evernham's out there talking, he's on a PR tour to uh, talk about all the stuff. That's done. what the Hall of Fame needs. Is this yeah. exhibit. Oh my God. That's right. They it need does. an exhibit. Yeah. yeah. So what, what can you tell us about this deck lid? Okay, so we go to in Day- Daytona. They came up with a spoiler angle rule. I guess it was eighty nine or ninety. I-, I can't remember what year it was. And we had always been good. Like I said, we won in eighty eight at, at, at Talladega, finished third at five hundred. So we we're always good at speedways and exploiting all the rules. Well, some of that spoiler angle was some of it. Some of it was height. So a lot of things that we. But Gary Nelson came along and really tightened up every. You know, this is his first going to be his first season as the series director. And uh, so we got to clean it all up now. We can't be cheating they're going to check heights and so now all of a sudden we we can't do our little things we were doing and we weren't very fast we were testing and we were really slow motors were off at that time and i remember being on a plane coming back i'm just kind of in my mind thinking what are we going to do and i thought if i could figure out a way to get that spoiler to lay down and get it back up because they're going to check it post-race and so 
I had in my mind before I even landed, I had in my mind how we could make the hinge, you know, and conceal it and how all that would work. And <laughs> I didn't have what I didn't have was an actuator <laughs> for it. And so I go, we got, I, I mean, I go to work on it. As soon as we get back, me and a guy named Dean Jones worked in our shop in, in a little locked up room on this thing. Nobody knew. <laughs> And we get this thing all working. The spoiler hinge is perfect. Everything's good. I've got the back plate of the spoiler. I, I, I do this little deal with silicone where it looks like it's welded, but it still has flexible, and it's, you know, it's all good. But I don't have any way to move it. And I'm looking. At, back then, no internet, right? So you don't have a way to go to search this thing. And I'm, I've looked in catalogs. And so one night, I, I took my, my car that we drove as an Oldsmobile, the Delta 88, that they gave us to drive, you know. So I'm driving it to the store. And I get to the store, get some groceries, and I pop the deck lid. Boop, pops up. You know, I'm going to throw the groceries in the trunk. I shut the deck lid. And if you remember these cars, they'd, they would click, and then they would have this thing that just pulled them down tight. You know, and so as soon as that happened, like as soon as they went click, click and went, yeah, I was walking to the driver's door, and I went, whoa, wait a minute. I popped that deck lid up. I said, where is that thing? What's doing that? And so I take that thing right straight from the grocery store over to the shop, and I pop that thing out, and I find that little motor, and it is dead perfect. It's got this little thing going up and down. I'm thinking, man, this is perfect. And so I take it. I make this. I go in there and fab up. This is at like 8 o'clock at night. I fab up this little thing to, like, hold the deck lid down on this car, you know, and take that thing. And then I had to buy another one, right, because I needed one on each side of the spoiler. Okay. So we start making all the little yeah. linkages and everything. And, but it, has, it was perfect. It had a little limit switch, and it, we, had it, we could set it, and we got it. And it was nice. <laughs> Again, Leo Jackson, not one that wants to cheat. And so, how did you engage it? So, okay, that's that's the key to it. So, we get it on the car. I told Leo, I said, Look, here's what I'm gonna, I wasn't going to do it without telling him. He said, He didn't want to do it. I said, well, tell me, Let me put it on the car. If you can find it, if you can find it, we won't run it. And you Where know, have it's I heard on that there. before. Okay. I said, If you can find it, yeah. we won't run it. I'll give you all the time you want. I, for, I feel like we've heard, somebody had that it, same it, mm-hmm. exact story. It was it was DW. It was the 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 shot the the shot that would come out of the uh, out of the frame rails. Yeah, but he was but like they couldn't we, but no, they, they but couldn't he, find the door. He's they were saying the same thing. Like if you can find it, we won't do it. Yeah, somebody else is uncomfortable. That's a pretty good. So way we of put the, right. I mean, things. because he knows it's in the car. You yeah. inspect it and, and see if you can find yeah. it. So we roll the car, ready to go to Daytona. Roll it in there. Where was it? Huh? Okay, so we had a radio box. The what back then we had a, a different kind of radio system. It was an analog thing, and we put it in a, a, a box. Everybody kind of had them. Yes. There was an aluminum box that would keep out the interference, and it sat on the tunnel the way we had ours, right beside the driver. And it had some switches on it and dials to turn the radio up and turn it on and off. So we just put a little extra switch in there, a little three-way, like middle and up and down, <laughs> on the radio on the radio box. And so I, oh. I wired all this stuff through the roll bars. I mean, the key to cheating is you got to do it right. Concealed. I mean, you got to really do the work. And so we we spent hours and hours doing this and concealed it up in the hinged part, you know, and all the stuff in the car. Everything's ready. Put it on there. Check. Okay, so Are you- Leo checks the angle. It's 45 or whatever the number was. And he goes in there, starts looking at switches, and he's raising the deck lid, and he's looking at this, and he's looking at that. And he's, I mean, he's all over this thing. <laughs> Cannot find it. He said, I don't think it's on this car. I reached in there to the radio box, and the spoiler goes, That would have been yeah. so good. I would be, where did you have people? In, so I would be, <laughs> I'd be <laughs> my pants if I was you because. I was, I was the whole time. You I the track and you're like, oh God, I just knew they were going to catch us. I right. was, I mean, I was, I guarantee I looked so guilty. 
I couldn't stand it. They were all over that thing. I'm like, good Lord. And we get, we get ready to qualify. Rolls out there. Gary Nelson is checking the spoiler ankle. The, the first day on the job. The head of director. He is supposed to be stopping yeah. all cheating. He is doing it himself. Instead of having somebody, he's at the, the – right before you go on the track, he's the one putting it on your car. So I had it up a degree or so just so I didn't have to mess Safety. with it. yeah. Well, he says, knock it down. I said, no, nah, it's good. I almost run He said, no. He said, knock it down. I'm like, oh, God. My heart's going – you can see it beating through my shirt. I guarantee you. I'm trying to get it to and it won't move, man. This. It won't move. No, <laughs> it won't bend. I mean, I've got linkages and everything. And finally, it goes down a tenth or something. And he finally says, go. And I was like, oh, whew. So he takes off. And at the end of pit road at Daytona, it's right close to the track. And I'm standing there with my stopwatch. I'm going to clock Harry when he comes by. And, you know, Gary's standing right there in front of me checking the next guy's spoiler. I look at that car coming by, and I think, and I'm like, God. <laughs> Visually. Oh, yeah. It oh. was flat. Oh. And Gary didn't even look over there. Oh, <laughs> he had a seat. I mean, it was. It was obvious. Yes. <laughs> Damn. So after that, I said, Guess, oh, I got, we got to get that dick lit off the car. I can't stand it anymore. I just can't. This do is it. no way to live. Uh-uh. So we put, back then, they used to let you put the cars in the hauler. And so we had another deck lid, and I had them get in there and chop in wire and put the stock deck lid on it. That way I could breathe for you know, speed. Yeah. I couldn't do it for two weeks. Right. You yeah. only did it for qualifying. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And you know what was bad? We qualified third. Yeah. Uh, I found out years later, uh, Junior's cars were on the front row. They were cheating more than we were. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. It wasn't right? a legal car in the, uh, in the in the lineup. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. I think it's a, it's somewhat of a coincidence that I find that from Ray Evernham because who, yeah, I do who too. We, who I don't know. How I even told him. How did he know that? We, <laughs> well, that, that's something you got to sort out. But who did we have on here recently? And we said like, who is the best? Who is the you know most creative or whatever? And they're like Ray Evernham. Like Ray Evernham was. And you and Ray were good friends. We were really close friends, yes. Right. We still are, yeah. We're good friends. So maybe that's how he knows, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, y'all, sure y'all are close yeah. friends. Damn. <laughs> what an incredible history that Andy Peacher has in NASCAR. We have to end the show right here, but we've got so much more coming from Andy Petrie next week. We dive into his history at RCR, and it's an incredible conversation, even better than the first part. It's finally time for the best part of the show, Ask Junior, brought to you by Xfinity. How about we get into the questions you sent to at Xfinity Racing on Twitter? Hey, everybody, it's Dale Jr. live here on uh, Dirty Mo Media YouTube channel for Ask Junior, presented by Xfinity uh, um, on the Dale Jr. download. You guys have sent in a bunch of questions uh, to to the handle at Xfinity Racing on Twitter, and we're going to answer those questions like we do every week, and it's probably my favorite part of the show. I know I say that every time, but I just want you guys to know how much I appreciate this. Uh, inter- opportunity to interact in real time is always a great part of this show because we do a lot of interviews, and we, we do a lot of ad reads and all these other things. It's more of a production. It's going to get edited and put out later, but this is a real one-on-one live sort of stuff that I like to do as well. So let's get started, Leah. First question coming from Joe Cunningham. Who yelled the most during the I Am Athlete ride-alongs? That's a good question. Mike Davis is with me and my co-host as usual, and, and I'm trying to, you know, it was everybody had a bit different reaction. Brandon was really genuinely not claustrophobic and didn't like the interior of the car that much, and it took a while to get him in there and get him comfortable. 
And uh, but he was fine. I think he once he got going, he was like, "Well, this is wild. I'm glad I'm doing this. I'm glad I'm experiencing this." Fred and I think <laughs> I think Ojo Cinco, Chad, he was probably the more nervous out of all of them. And his and I might be wrong. I don't. I haven't spent a ton of time around him, so I don't really truly know his personality. When he gets nervous, he starts to try to you know try to be funny. Mm. Right. And he's like, I'm going to do this without a helmet and knowing we're not going to go do it without a helmet. And uh, he's like, I can do it without a helmet. Y'all. And he literally was sitting there getting in the car going, I ain't wearing a helmet. Y'all don't worry about it. I got it. I'm okay. I'm not going to wear a helmet. And just sort of like dragging this out. Then he's uh, like, I don't want the winning up. Don't put the winning up. You can leave that down. Right. You don't have to put that up. It's not necessary. And um, so he's kind of like pro dragging it out and prolonging us leaving pit road. And the funny thing about him, and I don't know if he did this on purpose or not, but he kicked his shoes off. He got in the car and he kicked his shoes off. And then when we're going around the track, he starts waving for me to stop. And at least I thought that's what he was doing. And we slow down. And he's like, "My foot got burnt." And I we went in like three laps, but this was the fourth. This was the third or fourth run. So yes, the floor, the fire, the floorboard of the car had heat in it and all that. And uh, so I, I think it could have burn his foot if he'd set it on there for long mm. you know for the for for the whole time we were in the car but he was like i gotta get out it hurts it burnt and so it was just his ride was a little quirky kind of weird but um uh, i couldn't tell whether he really burned his foot or he just wanted to stop and didn't know how you know didn't want to say i don't like this i want out um i couldn't tell so it was kind of uh but we did all that right before we had to sit down and and what a great place to do it it was a great experience. Uh, me and my wife watched it again last night, and just really, I would, I liked Fred a lot. Talking to him, for some reason, I felt like a connection to Fred. All of them are great, though. But yeah, I'd love to spend more time with them. I wished we would have. I couldn't tell what they wanted me to do when they're like, "We're going partying tonight." I'm like, "Are they serious? They really want to party?" Have you watched it, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Do you remember I, that part? I, I do remember that part. Um, so I was wondering if they really wanted to go party or if that was just part of the show. I, I think they wanted to. Really? <laughs> yeah. Because I totally missed out on an opportunity to party with those guys, and we should have. We should have. I was like, man, do they want to go saloon? Where do they, they, where yeah, do they are go? They, are, are they trying to plant a seed with me right. that I'm supposed to hook this yeah. up or whatever they're doing? Yeah. yeah. We missed an opportunity for sure because I think they did end up going out hanging out in charlotte so once everybody's done watching this they can go to the i am athlete youtube uh page That's and right. watch this it's a great interview fantastic uh next question coming from robert um how is the next gen car going to affect teams as far as jobs gosh what a question yeah really yeah anybody else want to take a stab at this <laughs> well, well yeah, yeah. I, I, we could take a stab at this one i mean listen nascar put out a whole list of vendors that they're going to be using that feels like that a lot of the fabricators that, that are in shops and i know that brett griffin had a big take on this on door bumper clear but yeah that, that there is some concern that a lot of the fabricating jobs and and stuff is now being kind of shopped out to vendors and yeah i think teams are going to start making reductions i think there's that's a valid concern frankly yeah maybe the cup teams are trying to find ways to do things cheaper that that's Definitely going to affect some jobs in their in their in the in the shops. Some teams will do as much as they can to not lose people or not cut people. I know in the past, uh, working with Rick, he's always been against against downsizing and, and cutting staff. But uh, some teams will look at that opportunity to try to cut staff and cut down on on uh, how many employees they have. But 
there will be opportunities, I think, outside of the teams to go to those vendors uh, to be able to ma- manufacture those parts. Look at that big list. Yeah, it's all a long those list. Vendors. And that's just for, you know, that's just the initial list. There's probably going to be more people added to that, and those companies there are going to be building all those parts. So there's more, there's jobs there. There's opportunities there, I suppose. Next question coming from Mike Simpson. Uh, thoughts on NASCAR tossing around the idea of street court races, street course races in Chicago, Denver, and Mexico City? Pick one. Yeah. Pick one. And then, I mean, Chicago's probably the one that is moving forward. Uh, has the most momentum. iRacing is going to run a version of this track that they scanned. They So iRacing and NASCAR together got with Chicago and said, you know, we're going to scan this and make a virtual track and and see how this looks on iRacing software. And they, NASCAR is doing this with other tracks. NASCAR is using iRacing and in the, in the, in their ability to build a track or a different version of a, of a track and see how it looks and works and see how it feels and drives. See, and letting drivers use it and comment on it, whether they like it, how it might race. Uh, they're doing that as well. They've done that as well with the development of the Gen 6 car. I think it's a great relationship that NASCAR now has with iRacing where they're using iRacing as an asset. And I, re- and I say all that because if you are NASCAR and you're like, man, I want to do a street course. And this company could build you a virtual course by scanning the real thing, right? Uh, you'd do that. You'd take that comp- you'd, you'd try to use that software to get a good look at what this might look like before you went and put millions and millions and millions of dollars in developing and building this course. So that's what they've done with Chicago. I think they're trying to move forward with the hope that they can run a street race there. And I think that they should just do that at Chicago and see how it works, man. Let's not let's not go ahead and and book all these other locations and shoehorn them into the schedule uh, without knowing whether street courses is really where we need to be. I don't really know the history of street courses in open wheel. You know, are, are they viewed in open wheel as successful? Are they viewed in open wheel as as fun to watch? Are they? I know that there's some legendary tracks out there that are street courses that people are very fond of, but we don't know whether they're going to be successful in 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 our sport in our series so let's just do one in chicago for probably the next three years four years and let it run and see how it works and if it's successful then yeah maybe go do somewhere else add to it but not right out of the gate next question coming from jake wilson how was it uh getting to meet steven nassie finally i've met him before oh yeah i've met steven nassie before i went to irp a couple years ago and walked around in the uh, infield and got to meet Bubba Pollard and Steven. And uh, I've always liked Steven and his style. He's wild in the car. He's a little wild outside of the car. Ain't afraid to stand up for himself. Uh, ain't afraid to no, – he ain't going to back down from anybody outside of the car. He'll go after him. He also appreciates a good, hard race, a good, hard, clean race. You know, he's, he, he's not just dirty – all the time. He's not just nasty, nasty all the time. He's kind of rough and hard when he needs to be, but he can also race you door to door and lean lean on you a little bit and have a good clean race, take care of the guys around him. So from what I've seen, I've liked his style. Our sport needs more personality in the cup level. We're always wa- ra- wanting more, right? That's not a dig at the cup level. I'm just saying we, we want to funnel that awesome personality and talent all the way to the top. And he's one of the guys that I'm hoping eventually might get that opportunity to to 
get into the truck series, get into the Xfinity series, and maybe the cup series at some point because he is fun in and out of the car as a, as a, as a fan. All right, guys, that's it for today. Wow, that's yeah. short. It was faster than normal. Unacceptable. Next week, we're going to have to take a couple extra questions <laughs> to make up for this. we got a bunch of great guests coming down the pipe. Um, the show's got a ton of momentum, and uh, you guys are just going to love the summer as we crank these out. So thanks for supporting us and tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Why does my favorite part of the show always go so fast? Well, that's probably because you're trying to keep up with the speed of Xfinity X, Fidel. Well, speed isn't everything, Mike. You know that. Xfinity X-Fi is also reliable, powerful, and secure. Oh, that it is. With Xfinity X-Fi, you can do more of what you love with faster internet. You and your crew can stay connected with Wi-Fi coverage that delivers the speed your devices need. Hey, and remember, everybody, send your Ask Junior questions to the at Xfinity Racing handle on Twitter. All right. Thank you to Xfinity Proud, premier partner of NASCAR. Last call. The show is over. Hope you enjoyed Andy Petrie, part one. Uh, we got part two coming up next week. I know you guys are going to tune in because part one was pretty amazing. Yep. I am athlete. I did that podcast with Brandon Marshall and uh, Chad Johnson and all those guys. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we had Brandon on the show a couple weeks ago. We teased the ride along. Uh, that I would that I was going to give to him and the guys. Uh, well, you can see all that. Go to their YouTube page. I am athlete. Please go to that and watch our interview. We had a blast. A lot of laughs. Uh, things were serious, emotional at times, uh, but some great conversation and a lot of fun taking those guys for a lap around the racetrack. We had a fast little two seater for them to ride in. It was the real deal. Thursday, 6 p.m. Eastern. The Dale Jr. Download on NBCSN. Another episode of Door Bumper Clear is out. Post Darlington, TJ, Brett, and Freddie, they talk about the next-gen car unveil. Uh, Marcus Lemonis and Sheldon Creed's Twitter exchange, which was pretty interesting. Yes, it was. And the future of the 750-horsepower package. All of that on Door Bumper Clear, available on all major podcast platforms. Remember, part one of Andy Petrie was amazing, so part two... Is going to be even better. Tune in next week to hear it on the Dale Jr. Download.
Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.